12, and um, we're picking up in verse 35. If you've got one of the ESV Bibles in front of you, it's um, 1036. Um, Again, that's Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give him their possession, their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we want to be hearers and doers of your word. We think of the words from James who says that the one who just hears and does nothing is like the man who looks in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. So, Father, we pray that as we study your word, as we study uh, these passages, uh, that you would open our hearts and minds and help us to understand that your spirit would give us understanding and that in these things we would set them in our hearts and our minds and, Father, be doers of this word that we would remember them, and that they would fall on good soil. So, Father, help us to do these things this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I had a friend in England who had this section of passages, and the title was called Beatings, Light and Heavy. (laughs) And he had to tell his congregation that's not actually what I wanted the, ter- the ter- title to be, uh, and that's not really what we're going to be talking about specifically, but it certainly got everyone's attention. Um, now, I've realized over the last, uh, uh, over recent days, that one of the things that Luke is showing us 
is he's showing us that Jesus is preparing his disciples for his uh, eventual departure. He's passing these instructions and these warnings on to them because the day will come when he will no longer physically be with them. And knowing that the Holy Spirit will help them bring back the memory of all these things, he teaches them. He takes the time to go through all these important discipleship issues. And today we are looking at this issue of the second coming, specifically being watchful and faithful until that day comes as a disciple of Christ. A a U.S. Army officer told of the contrast between his pupils uh, during two different eras uh, of teaching at the artillery uh, training school in Oklahoma. He said from 1958 to 1960, the attitude was so lax that the instructors had problems uh, making sure the men were just staying awake for the lectures. Then from 1965 to 1967, the men were in the exact same basic lectures, and yet they were alert and they were taking copious notes. Well, what made the difference? And some of you may have figured that out. These men knew that in six, less than six weeks' time, they would be facing their enemy in Vietnam. The Christian walk is always about being prepared. But oftentimes, people have a, a negative reaction to uh, exaggerated teaching. Now, if you were go to, to go to a, a bookstore, if those still exist, um, or if you were to search on Amazon Books, which would be more likely, uh, if you were to search under the genre of end times or second coming, you will see a lot of craziness. Trust me, I looked it up. Uh, or, or if you were to go to a church where every week The pastor is caught up in prophecy and mapping and interpreting to the point where he makes the boy who cried wolf look like an optimist. And and, and much of this has taken place in churches. Harold Camping, who I have mentioned from this pulpit before, you know, he makes an end time prediction for three different dates in 1994. Then he makes a final prediction for the return in 2011. And then he finally repents of his alarmism, and then I think he passed away a year or two later. And and, and how many others have done similarly under the banner of Christianity? And people feel disillusioned by all of these false prophecies. That's what happens when you keep making prediction after prediction after prediction that's not biblical. People will eventually stop listening. And it seems to come in waves. If you look at the, the church history, there's, there's sort of periods where people are looking for the end times and the preachers are really preaching end times. And then there are times where people and preachers get tired of preaching on those things and they seem to back off from it. Now, I, I venture to guess that that has to do with how comfortable they are in life. When something big and drastic happens, everybody's looking for end times. When everyone's happy and you know has lots of money and peace and all that prosperity, then they're probably not preaching it so much. That's not really healthy. Um, There should be balance where it should be taught helpfully, where it should be taught biblically, 
And here's a case where Jesus brings up the, his return uh, with his disciples. And he breaks it down into two areas, watchfulness and faithfulness. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants who find, who the, whom the master finds awake when he comes. And this could be added to the, the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Now, what is this saying? Don't be asleep when he comes. Is he saying don't sleep? Well, I looked this up because I knew it had to be a thing because everything is a thing these days. And there is something called sleep fasting where people think that God speaks supernaturally at night. They say it triggers supernatural intervention. Uh, I can tell you what it's triggering it's triggering sleeplessness. And the fact that your mind will wander and do strange things when it lacks oxygen and sleep. Just ask anyone who has had a newborn. <clears throat> this is not Jesus' way of saying, don't physically sleep. This is Jesus' way of saying, do not go to sleep spiritually. Well, what does spiritual sleep look like? Look at the two illustrations he gives for watchfulness. The first example is of servants watching the master's house. They are dressed for action, meaning their robes are tucked into their belts, uh, and they are ready to go, just as the Israelites were commanded to do at the Exodus. They were ready for departure. But again, it's not literally saying, tuck your robe into your belt. It's saying, be alert. Be sober-minded to the things around you that can distract you. Think of our friend from last week, the rich fool who got so caught up in the distraction of his possessions and the accumulation of more for self. Or the anxious person that Jesus warns about who is constantly worried that they will be without. And these servants kept their lamps burning. They knew the day was coming when it was time to go. Whether that be through death or the master coming home, this is a sort of examine your life illustration. Are you prepared for Christ to return? Do you look forward to his return? Because that person welcomes his master when he comes home, when he arrives. And the blessing of being served by that very master. It's a bit of the imagery of, of, of Christ serving his disciples, isn't it? The, the, we think of uh, when Christ was washing the disciples' feet. He's showing them a summary of his own ministry, a ministry of serving others, and a call to what they too will do in the serving and the feeding of the little flock. Even think of Peter's recommissioning 
uh, for ministry after he's denied Christ. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. If you love Christ, feed his people. I wish I could uh, better illustrate just how beautiful this imagery really is. The, The master knocking on the door and it being answered right away by a joyous servant who has anticipated his return and the master inviting the servants in to eat with him so that he can serve them. The closest thing I could think of, and I know there are better ones, was when I was in Sydney, our senior rector would go away for about a month at a time here and there. And I happened to be sitting next to a lady when he came back and she kind of elbowed me and she said, I love when Simon's back. It's like when your dad would come home from a big trip and everyone's excited, and I thought, oh, yeah. I thought, wait a second, I was preaching while he was away. Does that make me the obnoxious little brother? (laughs) Hopefully not. I've been that all my life. But then contrast that joyful excitement imagery with the next. But know this. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. This second illustration, the master of the house, this is not the same person as the master from the first imagery that Christ gives. The the word from the first one, the Greek word is kurios. It's Lord. He's He's the Lord of the house. The word in this second imagery is Oikodespotes, Greeks, uh, uh, Bruce's Greek teaching of myself has uh, hopefully paid off here. Uh, and that word means master of the house. This is the, the servant of the master who organizes the lower servants, or really a person in leadership. Uh, I like to picture Carson from uh, Downton Abbey. He's sort of the chief butler it's, it's an apostle, it's a, a teacher, a preacher, or even could be the head of a family. And that person has not prepared himself or the servants for the arrival of the Lord, the Lord of the house, the return of Christ. They are like the, the hired hand from John chapter 10, uh, who does not serve the sheep, but instead uh, because of self-interest or, or, or whatever it may be, abandons the sheep and, and leaves the sheep ill-prepared. This is the leader or the pastor who, who neglects their duty of making sure that the servants are ready, dressed for action and keeping their lamps burning. There are too many of these, too many servants who sit under this type of leadership. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, then Peter asked Jesus, uh, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And in standard Jesus fashion, he answers Peter's question with a parable. How many times do we think, oh, good, that's a good question. Oh, no. why can't you just say yes or no? But I will say, I'm very grateful for this. I'm grateful for the fact that Jesus teaches in parables because it really makes us have to dig in and do work and and, and discover what he's trying to say. What is he saying? What is the importance? Uh, You know, it's not just simple yes and no. 
And so he answers with a parable, knowing again that these things will be uh, revealed when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and, and remind them of these teachings. And we will see later how Peter did remember this teaching uh, in his epistle. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Much was given to the head of the household. And in this case, the servant has managed it well and was blessed. In fact, this servant is given more. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And here we begin to see a graduated responsibility and graduated judgment. So it's on this scale. Does it sound harsh? It can sound harsh. It's not hard to look at church history and find popes and pastors and preachers who were unfaithful, who abused power under the banner of Christ, who seemed to never have been true professing believers. They, they used their position uh, to force their own way or to satisfy their own flesh. These are the apostate. Those who have turned their back on Christ, if they ever faced him in the first place, may, maybe only by appearance. This person believes that they are the ultimate authority. And because they act as if the Lord of the house will not return, when he does come, his judgment is severe. It's hard cut to pieces and numbered with the unbelievers, the unfaithful. Now, I have to remember, Judas was listening to this teaching, and this is going to be him, but it's not specifically him. Now, this has an air of, of, of Matthew 7 to it, doesn't it? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If that doesn't send a chill down your spine, to be thought you were numbered with the righteous, but because of abuse of the flock or the servants, because of a, a departure uh, from keeping the servants ready for the return of the Lord of the house, because of a departure from Christ and his word into worldliness, and these will be cut into pieces and numbered with the unfaithful. This is the highest level of expectation. These are people to whom much was given. They had knowledge and insight into the word. They were given control over God's people. And yet with all the opportunity for blessing, they squandered it. Much is required. Much will be demanded. Oh, is anyone thinking about... Uh, 
signing up for seminary class? Anyone thinking about going into ministry after this? I think this is why, I'm convinced this is why Charles Spurgeon, in his lecturing to his students, said, it is far better that you do something else. Go into politics, for goodness sake. Become a craftsman. You know, pick up garbage. Anything you can. And this was the reason. You need to take it seriously. How much damage has been done to large numbers of people because someone foolhardily jumped into ministry? Or like my friends who, uh, when law school didn't work out, thought, well, we can always go into ministry. And sadly, one of them, I think, is actually in this category or the next one. And it is absolutely terrifying because you don't take it seriously. Now, do you see the difference between the leadership styles? This one, he is, he is the bad manager. He beats his servants and, and gets drunk. Now, compare that with the description of the Lord of the house from earlier. He comes home to his rightful property, to his rightful place, and he serves. This was Jesus' model of leadership. It is servant leadership. The wicked manager thinks only of himself. He does not value the servants other than to accomplish his will. Then Jesus shows the next level down from this, or up, however you're graduating your scale. And that servant, who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. This one also breaks my heart. Well, they all break our hearts, I think. And I think in particular this one now, because I think we've just read in the news in recent days of a man who served the Lord and I think would be in this category. And so it's fresh in our minds. A person who knows the will of God and yet chooses to ignore it. They drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit, and they, in a sense, they forget God. David makes his confession in Psalm 51, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Blot out my transgression. David sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and Nathan and the nation of Israel and on and on and on and on and on. And yet he says, first, his primary sin was against God. David had forgotten God, but he confesses him, and he repents, and he asks forgiveness. The one who covers up and carries on will receive a severe beating. These are those, I think, who are saved, though as by fire, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Then he says... But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. These are the ones who have put their trust, some level of trust in Christ. They know very little and they do very little. They sit in, in, in huge auditoriums and they, they listen to false doctrine. They listen to prosperity gospel or they sit in old cathedrals and they listen to Catholic teaching. Not all, but some of these people are of the elect. And they will receive the lightest punishment. But a punishment is given nonetheless. So what do we make of all this? 
Here would be my fear. My fear is that you would hear this and strive for the least punishment. Therefore, I will stay ignorant. Uh, that would be a worst-case scenario. No, 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 the cutting in pieces and being numbered with the unbelievers would be a worst-case scenario. This would be a best-case scenario of a worst-case scenario. What would the purpose of Jesus' teaching here be? Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I think that language is the Trinitarian language with the they, because he's just covered the Trinity just earlier. Now, I've been talking about this from a church leadership perspective, but this was based on Peter's question, is this exclusively for us, the twelve, or is this for the thousands here who are stepping on top of one another? And Jesus' answer was yes. It's for both. Consider what role of leadership you play. Now, you may not be a, a, a preacher and pastor of the church, but you have some leadership role. You may be a lay leader. You may be a Bible study leader. You may be the leader of your home. You may be a mom and dad. And there is a measure of much being given to you and a measure to which you have been entrusted. What will you do with it? Will you squander it? I never understand the families who go to certain churches because their kids prefer it. Instead of mom and dad saying, we want our kids to be prepared for life, or as the, is the case here, we want our kids to be prepared for the coming of Christ uh, by being taught biblically, even or especially when that flies in the face of, of culture. There is responsibility, but this is not meant to be bad news. I think sometimes we read passages like this and we think, oh, bad news. This is good news because look at what Christ promises for those who are eager and expecting the Lord of the house. He invites the servants in to eat with him and be served by him. This is not Jesus saying, well, I've taught you all I can, and uh, now you go and do it entirely on your own. Oh, and by the way, the stakes are incredibly high. Uh, hell, beatings, all these terrible things. Now, he says, I am with you even to the end. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help to lead and to guide. Think of the means of grace he has made available for us to help prevent disaster. The body of believers that he's given us to build one another up, to rebuke, to encourage. The gift of prayer he gives us to speak and commune in relationship with him. The work he has for us to do in the places that he has made available for us. If you think about it, you have to run from these things to end up ignorant or, or to deafen the voice of God through his word and his people. So hear the warning, but don't shy away from what God has called you to. Now, we said we'd come back to Peter. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 3. The same Peter who asks who this parable was for. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, the return of Christ, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. 
and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, and he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grow, learn, understand, teach, pass on, encourage, rejoice. You have been given much. Do much with it. Don't see it as a burden. See it as a blessing. Be watchful of the return of Christ. Ever since Christ ascended into heaven, Christians have been living their lives watchful for the return. Was it a waste of time? Well, it's been 2,000 years. Every single one of them, I have no doubt, will tell you what a blessing it was to live expectant of that day. Be faithful. Too many stories of men and women who were unfaithful. I can't help but think of the thousands, the millions, the billions who remained faithful to the end. Ones we will never know until we join them in eternity. So let us be recipients of the means of grace. Faithfulness becomes more doable when we are watchful. The ones who stumble, I can assure you, were totally caught up in the world, in the here and now, just like our rich fool. And so let us be balanced. Let us be balanced with our eyes on the return of Christ, focused on the work here, because we know that one day we will be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we know it's easy to fall into one of either of these camps that we become so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good or that we focus only on this world and, and miss both heaven and earth. And so, Father, we need your help. We need your grace. We know that you've given us this word and it penetrates and it does its work but it heals and it does so much for us and through us. And that means that much has been given to us. You've given us your spirit and opened our eyes to see truth and you've given us understanding just as we prayed at the beginning that you would help us to have understanding. And so would we take ministry seriously? Would we not deal with things flippantly? Father, we understand the, the punishments, but would we not be afraid of the work because of what the punishment could be? But would we be joyful to do the work that we would be like those servants who are so joyful and expectant of the return of their master? Would we have that, that servant leadership model that Christ has given us, that we would not do things out of selfish gain or selfish ambition, 
but that as we have brought Christ into our hearts and he is transforming us and renewing us day by day by day, that we would all the more be looking forward to serving and looking forward to the day when we can all celebrate together in the triumph of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Man, would you stand with me?